0: Hey, and welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids
1: Network. I'm Sahiba, and today we'll be talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, Middleburg Film Festival, and Dr. Yum's preschool adventure. And right now we're going to start with Rowan interviewing Newton Thomas
2: Siegel. Take it away, Rowan. Hi, I'm here with Tom Siegel. He was the cinematographer for Bohemian Rhapsody those of us don't know what exactly is a cinematographer
3: well when you go see Bohemian Rhapsody every image you see will somehow have my hand in it the composition of the shot the lighting of, of the shot the camera movement whether it moves fast or slow or doesn't move at all uh, if it's dark or bright or colorful um, all of those things Uh, are part of the world of cinematography. We have sets or locations and costumes that the actors wear, but I have to photograph it all so that you can see it in the theater. So that's what a cinematographer does.
2: Cool. And what's the difference between cinematographer and the director of photography? Uh, It's a different word for the same thing. Uh, Some
3: people prefer one or the other, but at the end of the day, it's... uh, both describing the same job.
2: So, what is a day on the set like?
3: Well, every day is different. Um, You have, uh, you know, some days that are big crowds and a giant stage with a lot of, you know, with musicians and camera cranes that are swooping all around. And then another day you might just have two people in their apartment talking but either way um, you usually have a 10 to 12 hour day Um, day often starts very early in the morning unless there's a reason to be filming at night but we might start as early as uh, seven or eight in the morning and um, as soon as we get to the set We have a problem, and the problem is, what's our first shot? So hopefully you've worked that out before you come. It's kind of like doing your homework. And when you get there, um, depending on what the scene is, the first thing that you're gonna do in the morning is start setting up that first shot. Where does the camera go? Where do the lights go? Uh, Where are the actors gonna be? What are they wearing? Um, So we have all of those things to consider and uh, a day on the set can be sometimes very fast paced, sometimes it can be very slow and meticulous, it depends on what you're shooting. Um, but um, they're long days. It's, it's uh, not a job for the faint of heart.
2: Were you a Queen fan before you got on this movie?
3: I've liked Queen, you know, I grew up with their music. Um and uh, i've always liked their music but i became a super fan doing the movie because part of the homework you do when you do a movie like this as a cinematographer or a set designer or costume designer is, um or director is you learn everything there is to know about your subject so i read all the books about queen i watched all of the um, archival material that uh, you can watch on the internet or that are in the archives of the band um, I looked at photographs not only of the, the band but uh, of that period and uh, the more I did that research the more I grew to love their music um, one of the amazing things about Queen you know is that even people that don't think their Queen fans Or don't think they know their music Know their music There's a lot of people who if you said um, Hey what are some of Queen's songs They would go I have no idea But if you sing to them We will rock you Or we are the champions of the world Or another one bites the dust Or Bohemian Rhapsody Everybody knows the songs So their music is even much greater of a, of a part of our culture than I think a lot of people realize. You a Queen fan?
2: Yeah, sort of. Like, I'm not a super fan, but yeah, I watch it, I listen to their music a bit.
3: I think after the movie you'll listen to it more.
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> so what was it like working with the star Rami? Rami is an incredible
3: talent, and I think he's somebody that you're gonna hear a lot of in the future. Uh, Rami um, really became, you know, Freddie Mercury. He he put Freddie Mercury's persona on like a old coat. You know, it just fit him so perfectly, and everything on the the way he moved, the way he spoke, uh, the rhythm of his speech. Um, he just completely and totally. Um, became Freddie Mercury. He's not a photo double, you know, he doesn't look exactly like him, but when he was in character and on camera, you forgot you weren't watching Freddie Mercury. It was absolutely extraordinary to, to work with. And when you have an actor that is that invested in his role, is that, um, uh, is that committed to portraying the character truthfully and depthfully. uh, It's very inspiring as a cinematographer.
2: Interesting. Um, How would you like audience to think about your work?
3: Well, you know, as a director of photography or cinematographer, you want to create powerful images. You want to create beautiful images. You want to create a language a visual language that tells your story but you also don't want people to be sitting there looking at it going oh what a cool shot or what a beautiful composition or oh look how lovely the lighting is you want it to all be in the service of the story so the most powerful the most striking cinematography is actually the cinematography that don't even realize you're watching because you're basically being swept away with the story um, at any given moment whether the, uh story being told is sad or happy or scary or, or romantic or whatever it is you want the audience really to feel the beauty and the power of the images without thinking about it um, so hopefully that's what will happen when you watch the movie is you'll be taken along for the ride and the, and, and the images will be so strong and powerful that they'll enhance that ride they'll make that ride even better but you won't know exactly why
2: okay and are you happy with how the film came out
3: very happy last night in London I saw the movie on a the biggest screen in the United Kingdom 28 meters wide, which is over 90 feet. Um, There were 7,000 people there, and people were so swept away with the movie, they started stomping their feet and clapping and singing along right in the middle of the movie. It was a fabulous experience, so I'm very, very happy with it.
2: And do you have any advice for people looking to become cinematographers? And and would you encourage them... work in the industry behind the scenes
3: well I think you have to really love it because they're really long hours it's a very difficult business to be in uh, if you want to have a family Um, but it can also be very rewarding so I think uh, if you're interested in visual storytelling if you're interested in in photography and um, telling stories with pictures and moving pictures um, I would say that you um, uh, should study all the films and the technique that you can. And you should go out and start making your own movies. You know, if you have a, um, a, a, a smartphone and a, uh, and a laptop computer, you have a movie studio. You have everything you need to make a movie. Um, but start looking and thinking about how they're made. Watch a movie once, you know, for the story And then once you've watched it, watch it again and look at how it's made. Maybe even turn off the sound and look, oh, you know, what is the camera doing there? What's it doing there? How is it edited? How is it put together? And the more you learn that, the more you learn those techniques and they become second nature, the more you'll be able to speak the language of film. Mm.
2: And what inspired you to become a cinematographer?
3: Um, well, I've been making little movies since I was 15 years old, and when I was, uh, actually since I was four, 14 years old, when I was 14, um, we didn't have things like smartphones and laptop computers, so I had to make my first movies on Super 8 film, and when you shoot on film you don't even get to see what it looks like till you develop it, and develop the film, and it was actually much harder. Um, But I just loved telling stories, and I loved telling them with moving images, so I started making my own little movies right uh, in the middle of high school, and I wasn't much older than you, and I've been doing it ever since.
2: Okay, well, congratulations on Bohemian Rhapsody. It's amazing, and thank you for talking with us today.
3: It was my pleasure, Rowan. I hope you and all your friends go see it. It's an incredible movie, and I think you're all going to love it.
2: Great interview, Rowan,
1: and thank you, both Rowan and Newton Thomas Siegel. Let's take a break. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Little Wolf's Book of Badness.
4: Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Ben from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about uh, Rohan's interview with the cinematographer of Bohemian Rhapsody, and next we'll be talking with Zoe and Rohan about Bohemian Rhapsody. How are you both doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing good, too. Uh, so, Zoe, with all the hype for this movie actually what did you think about it um
5: well i thought that this was a really nice film i really liked it the the photography and production design um were really good and the costumes really reflect on the look of 80s and it kind of feels exactly like some of the the scenes from the music videos on youtube
2: Uh, Rohan, what is this movie about, exactly? Um, well, basically, it's kind of about, um, Freddie Mercury's relationship with his, like, bandmates and everyone around him, like his family, and how he kind of deals with his sexuality. Uh, Zoe, what was your favorite part of this film? Um,
5: my favorite scene is probably where all the scenes that music was involved because I really um, liked the music in this film. Can you talk a little bit more about why you liked the music? Um, well, I really my mom, she really likes 80s music and stuff, and I hear it a lot. And some of the songs I heard in this film, I actually didn't know were from Queen, but they were some of my favorite songs. And they're just really interesting. And in the movie, they kind of explain how each like song is... Like, created and stuff. And I really liked how the story was put together and why they did that.
4: Rohan, did you think Rami Malek was a good choice to play Queen, Queen uh, Frontman Freddie Mercury? And how was his performance?
2: I quite liked him as Freddie Mercury. I feel like he portrayed the character's personality well and was like, all his motion around the set were big and extravagant, which kind of fit Freddie Mercury's personality, I think. Zoe, do you have a favorite
5: character from this film? Um, Probably Freddie Mercury. He was really entertaining in the film, and he really he brought life to his character because he wasn't really acting him. He really was Freddie Mercury, and I really believed him.
4: Rohan, uh, did you have any past experiences with the band this film portrays before seeing it?
2: and well, I'd had some of their music, but I no, I didn't really know the story. Would you say that this film
4: will, uh, does a good job of not only? Uh, that ed- people who may not know a lot about Queen letting them know more about the band and letting people who already
2: know about Queen teaching them new things? Um, well, it, it mainly focuses on Freddie Mercury's relationship with the band, but yeah, I do think it tells the story of like what the band represents.
4: Now, other than uh, the main character of this film, how did the
2: rest of the cast do? I can't remember who played Ray Foster, but I think it was Mike Myers. Yeah, And um, yeah, that was, yeah, okay. It was Mike Myers who played Ray Foster. I liked him as Ray Foster. I feel like he like portrayed how the character like so negative quite well. Zoe, this film looks to have a lot of
4: spectacle. So did you find... Well, you already talked a little bit how you liked the musical sequences, but things like uh, production design and costume design and things like that, how did those contribute to those musical sequences and make them even better? Well... One second.
5: Um, well, the costumes were great, and... And everything really reflected on eighties and how the band comes together. And the Live Aid show was great. It really looked like the like the same thing. The production design was amazing. I really liked it. Um.
4: And the um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you t- t- talk a little bit more about the Live Aid show because that seems to be a pretty important event in the film itself? Yeah. Well. I went on YouTube
5: the other day just to search up the Live Aid show to see the resemblance between the two shows from the movie and from the real thing, and everything was perfect. Like, there were some drinks on the uh, piano, and it was exactly like that. And the lights and Freddie Mercury and the other band members, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And honestly, if I didn't know better, I'd probably think that was the real Live Aid show because it was just so well put together, and um, you really can't tell the difference that much because everything is exactly on point, and I really feel like the, everyone who helped do that
4: scene did a really good job. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about a, a, an interview with the cinematographer of Bohemian Rhapsody, Newton Thomas S- Sigel. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the film itself, Middleburg Film Festival, and Dr. Yum's Preschool Adventure. And right now I'm talking to Rohan and Zoe about Bohemian Rhapsody. So, uh, Rohan, were there any other aspects of this film that really surprised you or that you noticed?
2: Okay. Well, I'm quite surprised. I was surprised to find that I actually kind of enjoyed the number of montages in this film. Like, When they were writing a song, they would have a montage about it. When they were going on tour, they would have a montage about it. But they they never seemed overused because each one kind of had like a unique twist to it. I am I
4: have no problem with lots of montages being in a movie, so this sounds like it's for me. Zoe, what was another sequence from this film that you found really impressive? Another musical sequence.
5: Well, maybe when they were like in a booth and they were prac they were recording the song Galileo or something like that Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, the iconic song. Well, I really like that scene, and I I found it really entertaining and funny, and there was lots of music involved there. I love how Queen started, and the basically I just really liked that scene, and it was the The way that they put together that scene was really nice um, and well done.
4: Rowan, what was the directing like in this film, considering there was a switch up between directors near the end of production? did you feel like the two styles that are uh, the two director styles um, didn't work together, or could you not tell the
2: difference? I really could not tell the difference. i I feel like a lot of the stuff that had to be moving around and like particularly in the first shot there was lots of stuff that had to be moving in unison and in patterns and I feel like that scene worked I'm not sure which director was on when they shot that
4: um this film uh, Zoe this film is about the band Queen and I wouldn't be surprised if in the future they were to make another movie But do you feel like there would be a need for another film about this band? Or is this a definitive look at uh, how this band was started and um, more about it? Honestly, I don't think that there has to be another movie.
5: Because this, Bohemian Rhapsody, it it really just told the story behind Queen and everything. So I don't really would know what the second movie would be about. Because this... I feel like this movie really just it said the story very well and I don't think there was anything left to say about anything.
4: Um, so I wouldn't really imagine what the another movie would be about. Okay. I meant more in the sense of maybe another movie covering the same events, but okay. Um, Rohan, wh- what do you think the lesson of this film is? And I think the more of the
2: film is to be yourself even if you're, like, different to other people and how other people want you to be. Okay. Zoe,
4: what age rating would you give this film? Um, probably,
5: like, 13 or 12 and older. Um, but I saw this movie under the guidance of my mom, so I was completely fine with it. And I honestly really like
4: this film. All right. Rohan, what star rating would you give this film?
2: I'd give it a 5 out of 5 stars. All I right. Think, what are you gonna say? Um, I I think it. It's not like perfect. There are some flaws. I feel like it is a good encompassment of the story. Well. Okay. Cool. Uh,
4: Bohemian Rhapsody comes out in theaters on November second, so this Friday. Uh, go check it out. I guess it got a five star rating from Rohan. Uh, thank you both for talking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, let's take a break. I'm Benjamin from Washington, D.C., and today's show is sponsored by Little Wolf's Book of Badness.
0: Kids Safe, Mother Approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids.
1: Hey, and welcome back. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, and next we'll be talking with the awesome Benjamin about the Middleburg Film Festival. How are you doing today, Benjamin? I'm doing really well. That's good. Good. So it's a pleasure to have you today, and so can you start by telling me a little bit about um, what is the Middleburg Film Festival, and what goes on during that time?
4: Well, Middleburg Film Festival is a film festival that takes place every year around this time, around around the end of October um, in Northern Virginia, and uh, it shows a lot of Oscar-buzzy films over the course of four days, um, and it's it has... A, three or four different locations, um, where they show different movies, uh, that they outfit to show those movies.
1: Okay, awesome, and what movies, um, did you get to watch? Uh, this year I got to
4: see four films, At Eternity's Gate, Biggest Little Farm, Maria by Callis, and Green Book, the closing film of the festival.
1: Oh, wow, and it was also the, a uh, winning, uh, film, right? Uh, I do I do not know actually. Oh, I think it was, but um, if it was, why do you think that uh, Green Book would have been an award winning film? Um,
4: Green Book is a very enjoyable movie. It's a much, very much a crowd pleaser. It's a good mix of comedy while also having depth to it because it's about. It does take place in the 1950s and is about um, the struggles of a African American jazz pianist or an African American pianist more specifically um jazz is what he wanted to or jazz is what he wanted to play or sorry excuse me classical music is what he wanted to play but he's forced to play jazz um and there's a lot of tension going on uh because of the time it's set in um and it's yeah like i said there's a lot of funny jokes over, around it and it's a sort of a Buddy, cop, comedy, road trip, drama, if that makes any sense.
1: (laughs) It sort of does. I think I understand. That's so interesting. It sounds so um, unique and has so many different elements in one single movie. That's really cool. And so what was your favorite movie that you watched and which one stood out to you the most? Um, personally, I'm still deciding between Green
4: Book and uh, Maria by Callus as my favorite movies. Maria by Bicalis is a completely different film. It's a documentary about a uh, Greek opera singer from the 1950s, 60s. Um, and her sort of the course of her career uh, and her rise and fall from fame. Um, I thought that film, I didn't know. I barely knew Uh, anything about the person that the film centers around and it taught me so much and um I also felt like it connected with me emotionally, not that I would understand the struggles of a Greek opera singer, but at the same time, I found it to be very interesting, while also uh, really well edited, and um, the fact is, it's different from your normal documentary, because uh, it's not interviews with people, it's all from her own words, from stuff they found in diaries, and old footage that she took, and stuff like that. Uh, which I thought was a very interesting way to do it. And Green Book is just, it's such a fun movie, but um, it's not afraid to have more dramatic moments. Um, Those are two I'm still deciding on, which I think is better. Uh, At Attorney's Gate is by far the most memorable, I think, um, because of the way it's shot and the way it looks. It has a very specific visual style, and um, it puts you in the head of it's about vincent van gogh and it very much puts you in his head um which i thought was an interesting way to do it
1: that is very cool and uh, what do you mean by um it put the audience in his head that's a very interesting um saying Um. Uh,
4: well there's some parts of the film that are shot like it's in the first person and um the way the the landscape looks and uh, things like that, and sometimes the way the audio is used, because at that time, uh, Vincent Van Gogh was kind of losing his mind, not figuratively, Um, and, uh, yeah, it sort of makes you understand what he was going through, through the way you're watching it.
1: Oh, that's very different and unusual as well. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, Dr. Yum's preschool adventure, and now I'm going to continue talking with Benjamin about the Middleburg Film Festival. So I know you were just saying um, how there were several unique films, including *Maria by and *Green Book*. And you mentioned that uh, *Maria by uh, taught you several things. And what were some of those messages that you took from the movie? Um. Well,
4: lesson messages for me, but uh the more in what i learned about the person but i guess the message is um never give up on what you want to do lots of things happened to her in this film um she's pretty unfairly judged and treated by the by the press um particularly after one day she cancels a show because there was a a problem with her throat um and uh yeah she never really gave up on her career um, and always try to deliver a good show and one that would make um, the person who wrote the music she was singing proud.
1: Awesome. That is, um, it's, I've never heard about her, but now I would like to learn more. Um, but a lot of the films, they had um, well-known actors, I noticed. And did any of the acting stand out to you in the films? In uh, Green Book? Oh, okay. I'll say Green Book <laughs> has
4: um, good performances. Uh, Viggo Mortensen ha- is looking like he's having a lot of fun. He gets to play a New York mobster. Uh, not a mobster. He plays a bouncer for, um, a club. Um, for those who may not know what a bouncer is, he, when someone's acting up in the club, he throws them out. So, um, he's sort of this, uh, goofball with a hardened exterior. Because, um, uh, he's, he's pretty goofy, but at the same time, he's kind of intimidating. Uh... And um, Mahershala Ali also does a very good job in terms of range. Um, in Moonlight, he can play a completely different role and uh, what an Oscar for that. Maybe a we'll won an Oscar for this. We'll see. But uh, yeah, there's uh, some great scenes between him, a New York bouncer, and an African-American jazz pianist. And the contrast between these two characters and how they clash over driving in the Deep South for his uh concert tour. I thought those were some of the best scenes of the film. And at Eternity's Gate, Willem Dafoe is um really able to uh show you this slow this this artist's slow deterioration of um his psyche and uh also just really I don't know, it was just a very quiet performance at times. Um Which I kind of enjoy. There are long stretches of dialogue. Or long stretches where there's almost no dialogue. Um, And uh, he's able to communicate so much through um, no dialogue whatsoever.
1: Wow, that is... That requires talent and I always think it's really funny because I only know William Defoe or I knew him only from um, the early Spider-Mans and I think it's so amazing that he's come so far in his acting career but um, that's really wonderful that all the feature films had or that you watched had wonderful actors and so um, were there any movies that you disliked or was there anything um, that you disliked about any of the four? Um, I
4: wouldn't say there are any movies I really disliked out of this festival. Yeah, I liked all of them, for different reasons, obviously. Um, for me, I'll give you one issue I had with all of them. Alright, At Gate, to me, felt a little bit of a loose narrative, which is cool and risky, but at the same time, I I would've liked more, I don't know, a a more, um, let's just say, uh, sequential, I guess, or not sequential, um... More linear plot, but um, it's pretty scattered. Um, Green Book for me, I l- really enjoyed it, but on an emotional level, it didn't. I think it's a very good movie, but I wouldn't call it a faint a great movie. I don't know. It's, there's just there's something about it, maybe in the tone, uh, maybe that it didn't connect with me as much as I hoped it would on an emotional level. Um, but something about that movie just stopped it from being really great. Uh, another film I saw called um, Biggest Little Farm. There are some, uh, in terms of narration, there are some very cheesy lines that kind of I kinda winced almost when I heard them. And uh, Maria by Callis. Um, I don't know if I have any major problems with the movie. I thought everything was good overall. But um, nothing was very spectacular about it to me.
1: I see. And, um, you just mentioned Biggest Little Farm. I'm curious, what is, um, that about?
4: Biggest Little Farm is about a, uh, someone who, a cameraman for documentaries, and a culinary writer, or a culinary specialist, I guess, um, who's very much into organic, uh, food and stuff like that. Uh, they decide to move to a farm in, um about an hour out of Los Angeles in California and um, with their dog Todd. And from there, it's about the struggles they have to sort of not only run this farm, but also um, profit from it and um, sell their food and stuff like that.
1: That's an interesting concept. And um, so how did you like this film festival compared to your last years or the last time you went to the Middleburg Film Festival?
4: Well, I gotta say, I thought this year was even better than last year um, for the specific reason that I got to see more movies. Last year, I got to see two, uh, and this year I got to see four. Um, So I was just glad to spend more time at this great film festival.
1: That's wonderful. And finally, is there anything else that was special or stood out to you uh, during the Middleburg Film Festival? I'd say uh, not
4: only is it a great location, it's in the town of Middleburg, Virginia, um, which has a lot of cool little places, restaurants, and shops and stuff like that. And um, but another thing is just interacting with people who have seen the same movies as you and talking about it, um, and sort of interacting with people who are also just very much into movies. The fact that they're um, willing to come to this festival and you know go to see their show three or four movies a day. Um, and people who are so passionate about movies, which is really fun to interact with them.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I always love um, talking on the radio show with people who've seen movies and anything movies, I could talk forever. So it's been a pleasure talking to you, Benjamin, and thank you so much for educating me about the Middleburg, Middleburg Film Festival and all these cool films coming out. Yeah,
4: no problem. I can't wait for next year's and uh yeah check out all of these movies if they sound good to you because I was really impressed by all of them.
1: Yeah I will from what you told me they all sound fantastic so I will definitely check them out. Thank you so much again Benjamin. Thank you for having me I had a lot of fun talking
4: about this film festival.
1: Thank you me too. Let's take a break. I'm Sahiba and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by
0: Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Hey, welcome back. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids
1: First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Bohemian Rhapsody and the Middleburg Film Festival. And next, we'll be talking with Dr. Nimali, who's the founder of the Dr. Yum's Project and author of the Dr. Yum's Preschool Adventure. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nimali.
6: Thank you for having me.
1: Of course, it's my pleasure. So um, I just wanted to
6: start off by asking, um, what started your interest in child nutrition? So I've been a pediatrician now. I've been um, at this for about 18 years. And in 2008, I moved my family to Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I started to see a real pattern of diet-related illness. So first of all, the preschoolers in Virginia Um, preschoolers on the WIC program in Virginia have the highest rate of obesity in the nation compared to other states. And um, I was noticing that even beyond obesity, there were so many diet-related issues that I saw in children. Those could range from behavioral issues, anxiety, um, digestive issues, and so many of the symptoms I was seeing as a pediatrician really had a lot of underpinnings in the diet. So I started to get really interested in how I could help shape the way that families fed their children and noticed that the culture of cooking was really slowly being lost and that so many of the parents I, um, whose children I saw didn't have basic cooking skills. So I sort of made it my mission to help them learn how to cook and, and feed their kids better and, um, and then that started um, a blog an interest in starting a blog with recipes, which then um, became sort of a passion and kind of an addiction for me. And in 2013, I joined up with a friend uh, that I met named Melanie Potok, who is a a pediatric feeding specialist. All she does is actually help children who have issues with feeding. And I asked her if she could help me develop uh, a program within a nonprofit organization, the Dr. Yum Project. And we named that program Dr. Yum's Preschool Food Adventure. And it's a way to teach teachers in the community how to teach nutrition to three to five-year-old preschoolers. Oh, wow. That's such a wonderful
1: story and such a wonderful cause. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about um, this Dr. Yum's preschool program and um, what it is about?
6: Well, you know, preschoolers are very young, but they're also very smart and they're savvy. And so the first thing we want to do is really just um, teach them about food and how fun food is, but also how food can impact and empower their bodies, especially healthy food. And so what we do is in our curriculum that we wrote, we introduce preschoolers to a monthly fruit or vegetable, and we talk about the sort of superpowers of that fruit or vegetable and how they Um, how the food helps their body. So we talk about, for instance, how vitamin C can help fight germs, how vitamin K can help heal their cuts and scrapes. Um, And so so we relate it back to how their body feels. Um, And I think the kids, after a number of lessons, start to really internalize that. Um, The other thing that we do within the lessons is we really stress the enjoyment of food, not just by tasting food, but by using all of the senses. And because we really wanted to create a program that was um, very joyful for kids of all abilities, we wanted to make sure that even kids with special needs, with sensory issues, with developmental challenges, who may not be ready to try new and different foods could still have a joyful experience using other senses that eventually would lead them to the confidence and joy um, and courage to try those foods um, by tasting them.
1: Well, wow, that's such an um, amazing program. And I think it's um, so great that you've opened it up to um, so many people of uh, all different kinds. And so um, how would you say that it was unique from other nutritional programs throughout the country?
6: That's a great question. So the first thing is, um, it is a sensory based curriculum. So we, um, the kids learn about the fruit and vegetable, and then they use all their senses to experience it while preparing a snack that they, if they're ready to, they can try. Um, And it's all using whole food ingredients. Um, I personally train every teacher um, and provide them a teacher manual so that they understand the unique approach of the sensory-based curriculum when teaching their students. And then we create these bridges to the home that um, allow the parents to also understand that approach so they can continue the experience at home because it really makes a difference if the kids are only eating those foods in the school but don't have an opportunity at home, then the whole program isn't as impactful. So um, the teachers um, provide the parents with a parent manual that explains the approach. Each month they get um, an e-newsletter that has a lot of tips and tricks from my co-author and me. Um, They get opportunities to um, come into the classroom and participate, and then they're given feedback sheets with the recipe, and then they're given a chance to learn how the child enjoyed that recipe using all of their senses. So we really try to celebrate, even if the child didn't taste a food, that maybe they were the best spinach terror in all of Virginia, or they did the best job of chopping the tomato, um, and that someday they hope to try. Um. So I think that's what makes it unique. We're very lucky that Dr. Nancy Zucker at Duke University, who's a leading researcher in um, childhood eating, um, took an interest in our program and um, helped us create some um, interesting uh, questionnaires and surveys to track the eating behaviors of the children in the program. And we found a, a significant difference in how the children enjoy food as a result of the program, how the parents' attitudes and behaviors around food um, becomes more positive and more informed, um, how there's less food refusal. Um, so many of the questions that we asked were um, showed that there's a significant difference and that the children were really um, enjoying and eating more healthy, fresh food.
1: Wow, this is such a unique program and I don't think I've ever heard anything like it, especially that you're using um, the sensory parts of, um, like, um learning and that's so special you're listening to kids first coming attractions on the voice america kids network today we're talking about dr Yum's preschool adventure the bohemian rhapsody my name my hero academia two heroes and right now i'm going to continue talking with dr nimali about the awesome dr Yum's preschool adventure so you were just telling me about all the uh, unique and special qualities of um, this program. And so what do you hope to achieve from um, the Dr. Young Preschool Adventure curriculum?
6: Well, yeah, thank you for asking. So my co-author and I, we feel so strongly, Melanie Potok, as I told you, is a uh, speech-language pathologist who specializes in pediatric feeding. And we knew as we were creating this curriculum that we were creating something special. and so. We piloted the program mostly in Virginia and in a few schools in New Jersey and in Massachusetts. Um, and those schools we selected were of all types. So they were daycares, they were home daycares, they were private preschools, cooperative preschools, um, schools that focused on children with special needs. And across the board, we saw that the program was really impactful and that kids were enjoying food and, there were par- and the parents were becoming more involved as well about how to raise a healthy, happy eater. And so now that we have the data, as I mentioned that Dr. Zucker at Duke University helped us to prove the effectiveness of the curriculum, we would really like to um, make that curriculum more available to schools nationwide. Um, and so in 2019, did not- to 2020 school year, we will make this program widely available so that um, schools who are interested in having the preschool adventure, um, preschool food adventure, can access it um, through our nonprofit, the Dr. Yum Project. And, you know, if, if there's anyone listening who's interested in just finding out more, our website is dryum.org. Um, you can send us an email, and we can um, put you on uh, a list where we will keep you up to date on how to get that curriculum in the next one to two years.
1: Yeah, I really hope this program reaches schools world nationwide, and because it's so important, and it's so rare to find um, programs like this. And so I noticed that you have so many achievements, like being the co-op. Off a book, but how does this project of yours differ from the others and how has it impacted you personally?
6: Well, I do have, I do wear a number of hats. So I have a private practice. Um, my practice is actually um, separate from our nonprofit, but I house them in the same building. So if you go to my practice, you'll notice that half of my practice is actually comprised of a teaching kitchen. And we um, we have a, a surrounding garden on all sides of my practice. We have a garden. And so families are able to come into our teaching kitchen and access programs through our nonprofit um, and learn how to cook and eat better. Um, my patients are able to use the kitchen as well. Sometimes we do recipe development. If you go to dryum.org, um, families can find all kinds of free tools and re- recipes and ideas we have an app called the o matic which is an app that allows families to create recipes on the fly. So there's a lot um, within the Dr. Young project itself that's really um, different and hopefully helpful and constructive. I've seen a lot of um, barriers to cooking as a private practice pediatrician. And because I talk to families about food every day, um, I have been able to harness all that information through our nonprofit and create a toolbox of free tools and ideas to help families anywhere, not just in Virginia.
1: Wow, I love how um, expansive your project is and how many wonderful things you're doing. And so finally, um, I noticed that you have several recipes on your website, the Dr. Young Project, and do you have one that you absolutely
6: love? Well, Let's see. I mean, there's so many. Um, My family's originally from Sri Lanka. And so you may find some recipes that are sort of family recipes um, that my mom has been making for many years. Um, So those are always favorites. I think the top of their website right now, there's a beautiful salad called a farmer's market bread salad, which uses a lot of really fresh farmer's market ingredients. And, um, and that's one that I'm, you know, I've enjoyed a lot very recently.
1: Oh, that's so amazing. It's been so, such a pleasure to speak to you and learn all about this amazing curriculum, and I hope every school in the nation is able to be a part of it. So thank you so, so much for talking with me, Dr.
6: Nimali. Thank you for having me. It was an honor.
1: You have been listening
6: to Kids First
1: Coming Attractions to watch our latest review of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Coming Films critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our blog in the Teen section of Huffington Post and check out our YouTube channel. You can get there easily from our homepage at kidsfirst.org. I'm Sahiba. Thank you so much for listening and Happy Halloween! Have an awesome day and Halloween.